Welcome to the Seafood Matters podcast, a voice for the UK fishing industry. I'm your host, Jim Cowie. Hi, Roberta. Welcome to Seafood Matters podcast. I'm delighted you're able to join me in a show. Can you please start by telling our audience about you, where you've come from and how your career has progressed? Thank you, Jim. It's it's lovely to be able to join you all the way from Australia. Isn't modern technology amazing? Um, so I think you and I met um, through your son, Anthony, because he was working in hospitality down here in Sydney, wasn't he? That's correct, yeah. And I was running Sydney Seafood School at the time, which I did for 23 years. So um, Sydney Seafood School is Australia's largest recreational cooking school and a lot of the chefs, including Guillaume, who Anthony was working for, were doing cooking classes for me. So the cooking school's at Sydney Fish Market, which is um, the largest fish market in the Southern Hemisphere. And um, we were teaching about 12,000 home cooks each year how to prepare fresh Australian seafood. Yeah. And I think I met you when you came down to visit Anthony and you came along and did one of our classes, didn't you? That's correct. One. <laughs> Several? <laughs> I think that time I, we were there for just over three weeks and I was on the Sydney fish market 11 times. In the oh, my goodness, weeks. were you? <laughs> it's a good spot. And they're building a brand new fish market right next door. So by 2025, it'll be an incredible new state-of-the-art facility. But I'm not there anymore. Yeah, it's a great facility. And so, and then you've progressed from there, I take it. Indeed, indeed. Um, I left um, two years ago, so uh, 2021, after we got through our first big COVID lockdown and I thought it was all clear sailing. And I left to start my own business, not knowing we we're about to go into a second lockdown. But anyway, that is what it is. Yeah, yeah. If, I, if you don't mind, I could, if I could start with what your the seafood school said, I have to say, hey, Roberta, I thought the whole setup, the whole mark, the whole from this auction to the seafood school and the stalls selling all the different kinds of seafood was just such a vibrant uh, feeling and so exciting and interesting educational anything any word you want to to bring up and i i just feel sydney have certainly and i'm quite i'm and i know although you won't tell me i know from anthony that you had a major major part in the role to get the seafood school where it is but the whole setup is so fantastic and it brings so many people to the to, to understand the fishing industry. And Look, I think it, it is an incredible venue and um, the new one hopefully will be even more amazing. It's well, um, It's got a lot, I, I, as far as I know, it's unique in Australia at least, that combination of wholesale and retail. So having the early morning auction where the fishermen are actually, or the, the auctioneers are auctioning that day's catch, and then having the retailers on site as well. And the school was certainly a very big draw card, and it did evolve a lot over the 23 years I was there. Yeah, I would say the only place, the only place I know a, almost certainly in Europe and probably the world, there will not be many quite as far ahead as the Sydney fish market and the closest I can think of any idiots come to you is Billingsgate. The Billingsgate I love the, Billingsgate yes yes I, I, and so do I I think Billingsgate's got a lot of character I, but it's it's not a it's not on the heart it's not on the sea where the it's, it's no good it's fish has been sent overland to Billingsgate. It's not a fish market on a harbour. 
Know, well, look, port. a lot of the seafood that arrives at Sydney Fish Market is <clears throat> is sent as well. I mean, there's no way that a market like Sydney can be supplied just out of our local waters. So we do have a local, I say we, I still, even two years later, I think of it as a little piece of me. Um, Sydney Fish Market has a local fleet, but um, a lot of the seafood comes from up and down the coast from the various fish co-ops and also from interstate and even as far away as New Zealand and, and further afield. Okay. Okay. That's interesting then. Yeah. And Billingsgate, by the way, the cooking school at Billingsgate is modelled on Sydney Seafood School. So when they were yeah. building that cooking school, they came and visited us and I gave them a lot of help and they... Um, they went away and created their own seafood school, but it was largely modelled on Sydney Seafood School. Well, that's interesting. I, I'm not surprised. Uh, and uh, the girl, I'm sure you know, CJ. Who I know CJ very well. Yeah, she's a lovely person as well, and equally as I would say, equally as uh, enthusiastic about Billingsgate Seafood School as you are about Sydney. I actually had the pleasure of collaborating with CJ. She edited um, the or wrote the DK Seafood Cookbook and she asked me to edit the Australian edition. So we got to work together on that, which was a fabulous project. Yeah. Oh, and, and is that, is that, what, where's that published? Uh, that, so DK, um, you might have to take this offline to actually get the details, but I think it's Dora Kin... I'll, I'll send you the details, Jim, okay. so you might have to edit that section out. Um, I'll make a note now to do it. Um, I think DK is a um, British publisher and it was a yeah. cookbook that CJ wrote and I edited the Australian edition, but I'll send you a link to the details. Okay, thank you, thank you. And uh, it, it must have been, I mean, I used to see the all the, the top, top, the top, all the top chefs were... Everyone, they, even, you know, Tetsuya, um, Neil Perry, Matt Moran, they all taught there. I mean, that's... <laughs> it's... Credit to you for uh, inspiring that guys to come along and do that. Look, the hospitality industry, and and I really, for those twenty three years, and even now, am still part of that industry on the fringe. In Sydney, at least in Australia, it's very much looking after each other. So I supported them, and still do. And they supported me. I mean, we even had the likes of David Thompson and Chong Lu, internationally acclaimed chefs, um, doing classes with us. Um, I'm not sure that's still the case, but it um, it was certainly an amazing time. It must have been because I mean, it must have taken a, a, a lot of talent and, and inspired a lot of people. I think during my, I think I worked out during my 23 years there, um, we had over 240,000 people come through our doors. So, um, and I, I know I hear from some of them still, and I know they cook some of our recipes regularly. So the, the recipes became favourites and, and are on high rotation, as they say, in their households, which um, I guess there's no higher compliment they can pay me than to say that because I wrote a lot of those recipes. Well, when you talk about that, Roberta, I've, I've even said it to Franz, uh, your husband, and he's he agreed with me. We were talking about cook uh, recipe books, and he reckons, well, I reckon, it's me that said it, I think that Sydney cookbook, Sydney Seafood's cookbook, is one of the best ever written. Oh, thank you. That that means a lot to me because that was a collaboration with so many dear friends that are chefs. I think we have over 45 Aussie chefs in that cookbook and um, a couple of whom are no longer with us anymore. So it's a real snapshot in time. And every yeah. one of those recipes was taught at the seafood school at some time or other. Is that right? Yeah, I thought it was a terrific book, a really fantastic book. And it's 
funny how we can be, you know, I've seen it in so many other things that you, we can be so far apart at the opposite ends of the world, but you can see a recipe and you, although you don't, I don't have the fish that you cook, cook it with in Australia, you can still, there's, there's everywhere you go in the world, there's a species you can use for that dish. Of course. And it's not just about seafood. I mean, that's what I love about food and cooking and recipe writing, that you start, you use a recipe as a springboard, don't you, to create your own. It's it's inspiring. It's That's why I called my new business Be Inspired, because recipes inspire us to go off and do our own thing. Well, funny you should say that. When when I started in the captain's galley, when I, and I was never a chef. I just went uh, as a very mature student to the local college just to get the basics. And uh, as I was doing that and then started cooking myself in the restaurant, I, I, if anybody was to ask me who and who did I get the inspiration from to start with, I'd have to, if I was to be totally honest, Roberta, it was my mother. <laughs> And, and I tell you, a lot of chefs have said that to me, that their inspiration was either their mother, their father, or their grandmother. <laughs> yeah, and well, my grandmother. Me, I, I became a chef because my mother cooked so well, you know, she inspired me. And others say I became a chef because my mother was such a bad cook that I had to learn to cook if I wanted to <laughs> eat anything. A few chefs have said that to me. <laughs> Oh, well, that's so one way or the other, our mothers are inspiring. I'm yeah. sure yours was a very good cook, Jim. Well, she was, and it was all real wholesome, good food. And and I, I she was still with us when we opened it, in the early days when we opened. And I would phone her and say, Mum, I've got this certain species of cod or something like that. Remember that dish you used to make? How did you, what's the recipe? She she never ever had a recipe. It was just uh, spontaneous. It was just, and she would say, "Oh, I just," I say, "You must have what 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 uh, ingredients?" And she would just say, "I put a handful of this and a." <laughs> That's how people tea. cook. It was just on the cuff, you know, as as she was going. There was no re no following recipe. Look, I think that's one of the reasons I started writing cookbooks because that's actually how chefs cook too. Many of the chefs that I've worked with don't have written recipes. Sometimes they do in their kitchens for their apprentices and their, their staff to follow. But most people who cook, cook by instinct and feel and a handful of this, a pinch of that, cook it till it's ready, smell it, look at it, hear it, taste it. Yeah, indeed. To be disciplined with a big kitchen it's better with something down for on paper for chefs to follow. <clears throat> well, for staff one, to follow, definitely. The one thing I felt would be quite important with me anyway would be I wanted to do it like that and have it on paper because it didn't matter. Consistency was more important to me. And I want. It didn't matter who was in the kitchen. the The food was consistent. Look, I think consistency is key in in good restaurants. But I also know that chefs tweak recipes constantly. Most of the chefs I know, their recipes are ever evolving. Yeah, well, that's a good thing as well because it it's got to. It's got to. And 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 that's what pulls good chefs away from the, the average. And I guess also ingredients change. They change seasonally. You know, a, one lemon is not as sour as another lemon. You know, one, um, one head of garlic might, or a certain time of year, garlic might be more pungent than other times of year. Um, so even once your recipe is written down, you do have to learn to, to smell, to taste, to work with the ingredients you've got, don't you? Totally, yeah. I think with seafood, it probably, and you, you can tell me more about this, oil content. Um, at certain times of year, even 
oily fish will be more oily or less oily than other times of year or perhaps depending on where they're caught. Would that not be the case? Oh, 100%. Uh, you take the, well, one of the, when you talk about oily fish in this area, we would be talking about herring and mackerel mm -hmm. mostly. And the, you know, that the, 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 the people buying herring for, say, to smoke it for, as kippers, they would buy their herring. Their their year supply, their, they would be producing it all year round. They would buy their herring in June and July. Because it's oiliest? Because, because that's when it, it was at its peak. Right. And, maybe, and, and the mackerel would be later in the year. And then they would get the, it was in the the autumn. And and that that would that would, was so important for depending on what uh, what the mark what ma what the market was, and uh, obviously we mackerel uh, in this country now a lot of it is goes to Japan, Does and it? used in the like of sushi and things like that. Well, it's of major importance, and uh, even when with a herring when it a lot it's not so much now but hey, we used to do a lot of salting salting herring and that would be absolutely we would just i still i still do it myself for giving away to old friends and things and it was absolutely crucial you caught it just before it spawned and you had the row at it's just at its best oh yes and the the melt and the male and the roe and the female and and that was that was primo, so it's all it's all about the seasons and all about the oil content and working with what you've got and do you know good smoked fish that is something we can't really get in Australia. I mean we get smoked trout and cold smoked salmon, but that's about it. And I when I get to Scotland, the first thing I want is some kippers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wish someone was doing good kippers here. Well, I'll tell you what, to me, if you were to ask me for what's my favourite, uh, you want to try it, a, a cuppered mackerel. Okay. No, so I say kippers I are normally kippered. herring, aren't they? Kippers are normally herring, but kipper, a kip, kippering, as we call it here, is a, you, you would do it differently. You, it's cold smoked. Right. Now, pre, pre, uh, ma mackerel are predominantly hot smoked. Ah, right. So you, you get a kipper and cold smoke it. Just cold, cold smoke the mackerel, which is like a, a kipper, kippering, and then grill it or do it. You would do with a, a, a the same way as you would cook a herring, a smoke. A, Kipper, and what it's out of this world. I'll look out for that next time. Yeah, I'll tell you what. If you ever, if you were ever made it this far north in the hemisphere, I'll cook one for you. Oh, you know I'll be back, Jim. I would never come to <laughs> Scotland and not go to the very north. The Highlands are my favourite part. Yeah, well. We're, we still we still uh, enjoy enjoy the highlands. I mean, we, we're we're sitting in the garden. It's obviously better weather with us just now. We're out in the garden, watching all the the birds giving us a song, and we have egg. We have nests in our garden, and they're feeding their young. The sun the sun setting, and oh, the scenery. You know, it's. Just, yeah, it's just lovely, brilliant. I'm hoping to bring a food and wine tour to Scotland in 2025, actually. I'm just sorry that you won't, well, that you don't have the Captain's Galley anymore. It's, uh, the, the Captain's Galley is still there. Uh, but Is uh, the new owner no. doing well? Yeah, yeah absolutely, Good. yeah. Good. So yeah. I'll, I'll bring my tour group to, to eat there in 2025. Well, that would be fantastic. I think they would be well looked after. He's a really talented chef. As far Ooh. as a chef is concerned, he's a way better than me. 
I I know a bit about seafood, but on chefing, Jody, the guy's name, Jody Sinclair, he's a really talent. He's a oh, but what you talent. created there, Jim, was very very special. Even having the the foresight to to turn that building into a restaurant is quite amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like I'm not going to start being silly and beating myself, but yes, I think. But it's everybody's got it's their time and sure I think no, just, no. it's like me leaving the seafood school you you do what you do yeah. and then you get out of the way and let someone else do their thing absolutely yeah i think i i often say to people i think it reached the stage where we needed a way and the captain's galley needed us away <laughs> yep well that's possibly the same story as me in the seafood school <laughs> Yeah, but you you must take a lot of pride in what you're talking about, what I created, what, what you created. What's, where was it when you started? Oh, it's a long, long time ago. Um, look, it certainly didn't have the profile that it had when I left. And I think, you know, bringing in all of the top chefs was very exciting for me because I love those guys and being able to collaborate with them put them in front of the audience. You know, some of them were very experienced presenters, but some of them were just starting out and I was with them on that journey and that was pretty exciting. And um, also in 2009, the school turned 20 years old. I can't remember when you saw it, but we closed for three months in 2009 and basically gutted it and rebuilt it. And the way it is now, 15 years later nearly, it is still a beautiful state-of-the-art facility and um, a really, really good venue. So that was one of my proudest moments, actually, leading that redevelopment. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That's, it's a whole, how long ago was that? So that was 2009, nearly 15 years ago. So I can't remember if you saw it before the renovation or after, but it always had good bones, but the... What we did with it in 2009 made it very, very special. We got media um, accolades for that from all over the world because we had a really, really good designer work on it. And he's also, I brought him on board to design the new seafood school at the new fish market, which will open in 2025. All right, okay. I think I've seen both from memory because uh, when I came out, it was quite different when we were there last year, just after right. we sold the restaurant and we were there uh, along, we went for a session there and it was much different. And, oh, my goodness, what a, what facilities. It's incredible. You were all broken up in your groups and your, uh, there were three of us, Anthony, Alexandra and myself, and we all had, you know, around the, the what do you call them, the stations. The island, the bench, yes. Yeah, islands, yeah, yeah, anything like that. And it was so well equipped. I was hugely impressed. I don't think there's anywhere else like it for hands-on cooking. It would be the largest hands-on cooking facility that I know of in, in for, for recreational cooking, at least, in Australia. Yeah. Yeah, the, it was quite funny. At one stage, Anthony just was asking me, and I said, "Oh, I'm not, I'm not making them out, and uh, I'm not hearing them properly." And he said, "There must be something far wrong with you hearing that before you're, uh, when you're not hearing that." I says, "Yeah, but it's." I says, "What's ba?" <laughs> this, it was butter to me. It was ba. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I sorted it out. It was a compromise. I got hearing aids when I came home as well. Did you? Okay. <laughs> but no, I thought it was, uh, it's just so inspirational. And I just feel it brings the public to, to you know, it's such a great day. Uh, way of getting it. I, I, I would, I could see by looking at it, I just feel how much the fishing industry in this country would benefit if they had 
something like a, a facility like that. Well, take. you find me the space and I'll pop on over and organise it, Jim. Oh, well, well, for example, the Lake of Peterhead, it's the biggest fish, I think it's the biggest land, by landing, it's the biggest in Europe. But unfortunately, they're way behind as far as everything else is concerned. They're, they're still, it's still a talking auction. There's no electronics and... And then you go up to the Lake of Shetland and uh, an island community, and and they're they're all electronic and doing fantastic. It's... Look, the electronics certainly more efficient, but there's something charming about the um, the voice auction as well. Up until a few years ago, Sydney Fish Market still did the sashimi fish by voice. And people used to love hearing that. You know, when we took people through the market for tours of a morning, they'd love hearing the live voice auction. Okay, okay. I've, I've done that for 25 years myself. And it's a skill that will be lost if it's not used. You know, the, the real danger for Sydney Fish Market, now that there's no voice auction, as people retire, is those clocks can break down. Electronics, you know, things go wrong. And there needs to be someone there who still knows how to call an auction properly. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. I'm not uh, against it. I just think pro pro uh, electronic yeah. is progress. But, well, you convinced uh, Peter's head that they want me to come over and organise a cooking school for them, and I will. Because the one um, in New Zealand was modelled on Sydney Seafood School. And so was the one up in Newcastle. So that's three other cooking schools that I know of that have been modelled on what I did at Sydney Seafood School. Well, okay. And they don't need to go to so far to see what you've created because you did the same thing for Billingsgate. Indeed. But uh, when you talk about auction, uh, talking auctions, I remember uh, more than once calling and then I'm, I'm reached the end and I booked the fish I booked the fish down and uh, to one of the, the the buyers and another buyer says to me hey Jim you've missed my bid I says I was still bidding I says oh sorry I didn't see you and he says to me well you'll feel me next time <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> because i'll kick your leg <laughs> fair enough so yeah it's uh, it was a it was a, I, I just feel it was an era and the industries needs to be beyond that because people don't have to you know to, to travel to the market they can they can bid indeed it, especially in Europe, because, you know, people need to be able to source from further afield than those that are in the immediate community. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, going forward, then, uh, where have you gone? What have you done with yourself on leaving Sydney Seafood School? Well, the thing I loved most about the Seafood School, there were kind of three different parties involved. There was all of those fabulous home cooks that were so passionate about what we were doing and learning how to cook. There were the great chefs that we worked with that were just so willing to give their time and their knowledge. And there were the fabulous producers and providors, whether it was the, the excellent seafood we got or great fruit and veg, you know, good, good meat, good dairy. We are very blessed in Sydney that we can get a lot of great produce. So I wanted to find a way to continue to work with great chefs, awesome producers and passionate home cooks. And the way I decided to do that was to create a new business called Be Inspired, which is online cooking classes. And it, it grew out of something we did during COVID because when we went into lockdown like the rest of the world, we took the Sydney Seafood School virtual. And they've stopped doing that now because they've resumed face-to-face -face classes. But I wanted to continue the virtual. So each month I choose a different cuisine. I work with a great chef. I get a whole lot of awesome produce. And we do a series of recipes. 
and people can either get the ingredients along with those recipes and videos or they can just get the recipes and videos. So I have people cooking all over the world and all over the country with me through the recipes and videos each month. That's brilliant. It, it's a lot of fun and it's become a very engaged online community too. So people, we have a private Facebook group and I know not everyone loves Facebook, but it's good for these sorts of things. And regardless of where you are in the world, you can cook, you can access me for questions by email, even by phone, and everyone comes together through the Facebook group to show off what they're cooking, to ask questions, to share ideas, and it's become a very supportive and engaged community, which is very exciting. Is it very tiring for you? Um, it's a big commitment. It's my own business, like the captain's galley was a big commitment for you but yeah, um i'm okay. a bit like you jim when i do something i do it 110 percent. so um it's it's a huge commitment i've never done anything this big before because um everything i've got's on the line it's my own business i've funded it it's a startup um my husband france is supporting me he's a great videographer and photographer um and it's seven days a week i've had very few days off in the last 24 months we create a beautiful full-colour e-magazine every month around the theme. We create 12 to 15 cooking videos, which are on YouTube. Some of them are freely available. Most of them are available with the with the e-magazine. And um, But I don't find it tiring because it invigorates me. It's so exciting um, seeing people cooking things they've never cooked before, trying new ingredients, trying new cooking techniques, exploring new cuisines. Um, it's a journey and it's very exciting. Yeah, sorry, what I meant by that, uh, Roberta, is if it's all over the world and you'd in Australia, it would be at all times of the 24 hours. Oh, well, it's not with live. With a, different with a different time changes. Oh, I see. I thought you had they had access to you. Well, they do. They can email me. And if I'm asleep, I yeah. won't answer that email until <laughs> I wake up. <laughs> and they can call me. But if I'm asleep, I'll have my phone on silent. So I, I, sorry, but I do get a... back to people within 24 hours. So, so uh, it's, it's just another exciting part of of our really exciting career from what I can uh, make out of that. And how would you tell people to, you know, if we were to say to our, our listeners, our audience, to get in touch, how would you tell them to do that? Look, I think if they, uh, my website's very simple. It's beinspired.au, AU for Australia, so nice and short. So beinspired.au, or if you don't remember that, just Google Roberta Muir. There aren't too many of me. If you Google my name, um, you'll find my website. Well, that's good. And, and where would that take them? Well, that will take them to my, to my website, to the Be Inspired website. And yeah. um, as you know, Jim, you can subscribe to my weekly newsletter as well. So they'll either get a yeah. pop-up or there's a subscribe button there. And um, whether people are getting the recipes and videos packs or not, I still send out a free newsletter each week with a recipe. Plus there's over 200 recipes on my website. Yeah, well, I do. I get them. I have subscribed and I, and I think, if you want my honest opinion, I think it's well named because it it, it doesn't it is inspiring. Each time an email comes in, I find it inspiring. Thank you. So That's the aim. That that makes my heart very happy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Totally. I think credit to you for for what you're doing, and uh, you're obviously a glass half full kind of person rather than a half empty. That's the Scottish way, isn't it? Remember, I'm half Scottish. My dad was Scottish, so I think it's just... And, and my mum was a glass-half-full kind of gal, so you just you get on with things, don't you? Totally, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, uh, no well, that's really, that's really fantastic. It's really exciting, and uh, it's... I, I, I like the free, when they come in to... 
watching the emails and seeing the, as you say, the inspirations, even just the fact that I know you, Classy, as a friend, and uh, I just think it's great to follow your journey. Well, given that we're talking about seafood, I can tell you that one of the most exciting things for me in developing the Be Inspired product is each month we do four menus, entree and main and sides or main and sides and desserts. And it's not just seafood, obviously. It's um, it's red meat, it's poultry, whatever. But every time I do a dish with red meat or poultry, I create a seafood equivalent because some of the people who cook with me are pescatarians. So I can't cater for vegetarians, but I can cater for pescatarians. And I take a classic dish like a beef wellington because this month we're actually doing a month of British cuisine. So as well as the beef wellington, we did a salmon wellington. As well as a roast chicken, we did some roast leather jackets with the same flavourings. Do you have leather jackets there? Is leather jacket a fish that you know? No. No. um, I don't know what the closest equivalent would be. They're a small fish with um, a big head with a sharp spike on it and um, the meat... Tetsuya Wakuda, very famous chef, said that the texture of the leather jacket is the closest he knows to fugu fish, the, the famous Japanese fish. It has a big, firm, white, flaky flesh, and it's a really easy fish to cook as a whole trunk without the head. And I, I love to use it as, a, as an alternative to chicken for lots of things. Is it a round fish? Is it a? Is it a round fish or a flat fish? A round fish. No, we have very few round fish. It's um it's a regular shaped fish. Um, I'll have to have a look. I'll see if I can find what the closest. It, and it's called a leather jacket because it has a very thick leathery skin that you peel off. It doesn't. You don't cook it skin on because the yeah. skin would be inedible. Um, yeah. I'll have to. I've never thought about it, but I'll have to think what the alternative would be in the northern hemisphere. Yeah, I must have a look at that myself because uh, when you talk about a big, chunky, white uh, flake, I immediately think of ling. Look, it's not dissimilar to ling in texture, but it's very dissimilar. And we have ling down here. Um, It's quite dissimilar to ling in appearance because ling's quite um, eel-like, isn't it? That's right. Mm. Correct. Yeah. I'll send you a photo and we'll work on it. No, we'll, we'll figure no. out what the equivalent would be. But you could certainly yeah. use ling, but not whole. The beauty of leather okay. jacket is that you can use it whole. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one thing I did notice, Roberta, being back and forth in Australia, I think you are you have the edge definitely there as far as shellfish is concerned. I I I never re- I I didn't realize even that there were so many different kinds of prawn. Right. Was- yes, we do have a good good selection of prawns and the what we call bugs. Um, some people call yeah. them slipper lobsters. Um, marin. We have good freshwater shellfish as well. Beautiful marin from Western Australia and yabbies locally. We yeah. are blessed. Absolutely, but I I did feel that we have the edge as far as white fish is concerned. Oh, you do. You have fish that we can only dream of, especially your big flat fish, your turbot and things like that. That's right. They're amazing. And you have much better scallops than us. Do you think so? Oh, yeah. Scottish scallops are are incredible. They are. They are, but I, I wasn't aware that they would be better. Oh, they're bigger and meatier. Australian okay. scallops are quite small. They're good, but they're quite small and they're relatively in relatively short supply. So often what you can buy is not good quality. Okay. Okay, that's interesting. No, I wasn't aware of that, but uh, I know that the it's just a – I mean – Taking it, uh, not just scallops, but uh, I remember when with shellfish, uh, oysters. There was a couple had an oyster farm up in the Kaila Tung, which is on the north coast here, just mm-hmm. a bit further west. Yep, I know Tung. And the water displacement with two big tides every day 
was fantastic. If you could imagine the nutrients and the oxygen mm -hmm. and everything in the water. And she, the obviously the oyster farms, like anything with the bivalve mollusks, mussel farmers and everything, they have to get water samples regular and are analyzed. And over the course of the year, and maybe in the summer or that, the <clears throat> the they would be closed. They would close the fishery because there would be a algae bloom in the water, and uh, it was just a natural thing. It didn't harm the animal. It didn't harm the shellfish, but it wasn't good for us to eat. We've had it and, happen in Tasmania with our mussel industry. Okay, okay. Well, you know, when they had the farm in Tung, 12 months of the year and never once were they stopped. Oh, really? It was just an amazing, you know, the quality of the water was always AA, double A. And that was, that was quite unique even round our our waters. Well, maybe so, we'll visit them in 2025 on the food and wine tour. I'll have to start to pick your brains about seafood producers that we can visit. Well, there's a, there, as well as that, Roberta, bear in mind there's a seaweed producer here now. That would be wonderful too. And there's a fantastic product. I, the, the, one of the seaweeds uh, well known in this area. I got dulse. It's, we dulse, call it. I know dulse. Yes. Well, you know, I'll tell you how far, uh, how close dulse is to my heart. I remember when we were children, my father used to dry it in the uh -huh. in the on the fire at the sitting room, <laughs> so you can <laughs> you can imagine the smell in the sitting room but but uh, when i cook uh, cook it i was using the shore the, the company called themselves and they're drying it and uh, it's a really good product and i was make, doing a sole one of our sole dishes in the restaurant with a dulse butter sauce oh that sounds and, wonderful and as it was just taking me back to my childhood when i was getting the smell, the smell. coming up <laughs> <laughs> Smells very evocative, isn't it? It's one of the many wonderful things about food. It brings back such memories. Totally. You, uh, I, we, I describe it. You use all, every, everything we were given, you, your, uh, your eyes, you can see it, you taste it, you even use your ears. You do. And I've known a few chefs who, more, some more than others who describe how you know when something's ready by the sound that it's making when it's cooking. And I think that's a really underrated sense when we're cooking, listening to the food is as important as tasting it, smelling it and seeing it. Yeah. I agree. I've met Rick Steen uh -huh. and he was doing one of his books, a around the British Isles and he was standing in Scrabster Market and uh, when, uh, uh, his description of when, uh, cooking, I thought it was lovely. He says, you know, Jim, he says, importance is not what, how you, what, it's, he says, import, the important thing is not what you do with them when you're cooking that fish, it's what you don't do. <laughs> That's a very good point, isn't it? And I think that's true with a lot of cooking. Less is often more. Yeah, absolutely, totally. And uh, another term somebody used once, uh, when, you when your fish is in the pan on the cooker, once you start asking yourself, I wonder if it's ready, get it off because it's overcooked. Do you know, the thing I was asked most often all the years at the seafood school, media, you know, journalists would say to me, what's the biggest mistake people make when they're cooking seafood? And I would say overcooking it. You have to be brave enough to get it out of the pan. Just It's like cooking pasta. 
You always have to take the pasta out of the pan just before it's ready because it's going to continue to cook in the residual heat, isn't it? Absolutely, totally. Yeah, that's it, it, the thing. It, it, uh, I think it's one of the intriguing things I learned myself as I was uh, getting involved in the restaurant. It's it's carrying on cooking when it's on the plate. Absolutely. Yeah. Roberta, to fold things up, I've a couple of questions that I ask each guest. Uh, I would like to get your uh, answers. Certainly. Two, best meal you've ever had that you remember. Mm. Can I can I name two? And I'll, you, you'll, yeah. you'll see why in a minute. My, my best dining experience ever was at Paul Bocuse in Lyon. And it was just so memorable. The man himself was still alive. I don't know if he was in the restaurant at the time. But the reason I want to name two is because a very, very close second is relatively close to you and it's Inesir Restaurant in Wales. And if a lot of your listeners are in Britain, they really, really need to visit Inesir in Wales. Why? N Y S H I R Y N Y S H I R In Isia, that's right. And um, Gareth Ward is the cook. I think he's English, but living in Wales. I think it's starting to get quite a bit of um, recognition now. I think he's probably got one or two Michelin. But when France and I went there, maybe five, six years ago, um, it was less on the map and we were just blown away. It was one of, it was the second most amazing dining experience of my life after Paul Bocuse and it's in well, your I own think... backyard. <laughs> yes, that's something for me to go. And the other question I ask each person now, uh, not, not, restaurant you you're in your own kitchen what's your favorite dish pasta fagioli italian pasta and beans if i if i'm being lazy and i'm if france is away and i just have to feed myself for a week i make a big pot of pasta fagioli and i live off that sounds like comfort, comfort food. food it is pure <laughs> comfort food those italians they know comfort food yeah, fagioli. Beans. Any beans. Yeah. I use I use a mixture, actually, of bellotti and cannellini. And I think some people say it's a Venetian dish, but I think it's one of those dishes that's made all over Italy with its own little regional variations. Okay, yeah. Well, you've certainly, and you've certainly gone around the globe as far as, uh, or, or no food from around the globe, from your be inspired? Well, yes, that's that's my thing. Food takes us travelling vicariously, and it certainly did in the last few years when we couldn't travel quite as much. I think the loveliest thing about Italian cooking is its simplicity. Yes, I agree. But lots of cuisines have that. If we go back, you know, not so much in Asia, but in Europe, if we go back to the, the rustic foods, they often were simple foods. And then look, I think in Asia also, it's not, a, I don't understand Asian food as well as I do European food, but I think simplicity is where we should be heading. It's, it's like Rick said about the seafood. It's not what you do to it. It's what you don't do to it. Coco Chanel yeah. used to say, as a woman, you should look in the mirror and take one thing off before you leave the house because we tend to overdress. And I think that applies to food and plates as well. When I'm designing a dish, I think, now what's the one thing I can take out of this without harming the dish? And the dish is nearly always better for having one less ingredient. Yeah. I love that sort of terms because it's just, so simple, makes it so simple, and simple is always the best. I think keep so. Keep it simple. Yeah, keep it simple has always been my uh, motto. Well, I look forward to the next time I can cook for you, Jim. So I hope I see you and Mary back in Australia sometime soon. Uh, well, we're certainly hoping to be, that's for sure, yeah, yeah. 
Definitely, yeah. and uh, it was great to see uh, uh, just what I was going to say earlier this year, but it's actually last year now. It was, it was. It goes by so quickly. <clears throat> well, hopefully but we'll thank- get you back here and we can we can break bread and share a glass of wine or a wee dram yeah. together soon. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe at all. Maybe each. <laughs> One of everything, why not? <laughs> I I was in a I was in visiting my brother in Malaysia, and he took me to this place. And the guy was for he he had fermented rice wine thirty ah. year old fifty two percent proof. Oh my goodness! It was just quite incredible. I've never How did you feel the next day? Oh, I didn't have too much of it. I just got a <laughs> taste of it, but it was. I'm sure the food out. in Malaysia was wonderful too. Oh, just to die for! I just enjoyed it so much. And it's exciting it's because it's that fusion of different cultures that have come together, and um, I think that's what makes Malaysian food so exciting. I think you're right. I think you're right. There's Thai, Chinese. Malay, it's Indian, uh, Portuguese, in, in, Dutch. Indian There's so well. many influences yeah. there. That's <laughs> very true. That's very true. You see that in the buildings and that as well. We were in Malacca, and mm, very uh, cosmopolitan. Uh, absolutely, just invigorating as well. It was, and the, and the Malay's people are so lovely. They are. Yeah, so uh, we did a month of Malaysian recipe kit a few months ago, and it was one of our most popular. We did a a duck laksa that people were very excited about. Yeah, yeah. Well, I had a duck uh, panang curry. Ah, yes. I actually made a panang curry the other night with duck, actually. (laughs) It works very well. I think red curries and ducks are a good combination. Brilliant, brilliant. It just keeps coming out. It's it's funny. It's just it's food. It when you talk out. about food, it never ends. It just keeps flowing, <laughs> doesn't it? Well, well done, you. And it's it's uh, it's quite exciting, even sitting talking to you. You know, and it, oh, Jim, well done, you. I mean, we can have a mutual uh, admiration society, but uh, I remember the two amazing meals that I've had at the captain's galley now, and um, I think you've left very big shoes behind to be filled. Uh, no, it's they're well filled. They're well I'm filled, sure, and, I'm pl- but... and I'm pleased. I'm pleased for that because it takes a takes a restaurant to a different to another level, and that's brilliant. And it's Nobody good to see that me. your your legacy is being well protected. Well, yeah, he'll go different ways and and his with his own style and of that, course. but it'll be good. Well, thank you. Thank you, thank you so much, Jim. Thank you for listening to Seafood Matters podcast. You can subscribe and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. You can join me on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook by searching for at Seafood Matters Podcast or get in touch with me through my website, www.seafoodmatterspodcast.com.